Just six years ago in 2015, there was a billionaire, his name is Yuri Milner. Don't know if you heard of him. He did what only billionaires can do. He gave $100 million to a project. This $100 million project is to fund space travel. The project is called Breakthrough Starshot. Anybody hear of Breakthrough Starshot? There were no other nerds in first service either, <laughs> like me. Breakthrough Starshot, you can Google it. It's the project name. He, Yuri Milner added one other person to the group to create this project, and that was Stephen Hawkins, probably the world's most renowned astrophysicist. And now today they have a huge board of like 24 people, some of the best researchers in science names, and this project is to send spacecraft, no, 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 let's take out the word spacecraft, nanocraft, you know the word nano means small, right? They're actually going to send nano spacecraft, they're the size of a postage stamp, and they're going to send it to the farthest reach, Alpha Centauri, one of the farthest star systems away. This little postage stamp has everything you need in it, it has, it has a uh, this little wafer-thin spacecraft, nanocraft, has cameras, photon thrusters, a power supply, navigation, and communication equipment. And we're going to send that little wafer all the way across space. You're thinking, well, that's got to be years away, right? Pull out your iPhone. Your iPhone has 120,000 times the power of the entire Apollo 11 spacecraft. As a matter of fact, in just three years ago, they already launched the first low-orbit release of these new nanocraft. Now, let me tell you a little bit about these nanocraft. It's really kind of cool, if you don't mind going nerd with me. They're going to try and go 25 trillion miles away. And these nanocraft, um, they actually are powered not by jet propulsion or fuel proportion like, like we think of. They are actually going to be fueled by light using laser array, they're going to send a mothership out into orbit and release all these little wafers and they have these little light cell and the little light cell they'll propel with laser lights so that they can actually move 100 million kilometers an hour. Fastest space travel we've ever accomplished. That's a million times faster than your car can go. And if it all works, It'll take them 20 years to reach Alpha Centauri. And it'll take four years to send back information to us. Now, what was amazing was Stephen Hawking, the, the world-renowned astrophysicist, he explained and expressed the purpose to this project. He said, it is important to know if we are alone in the dark. I thought that was profound. The reason for the space travel, these little nanocraft, is to know if we are alone in the dark. For those of you who know, Stephen Hawking's died just two or three years ago. Stephen Hawking um, is also a world-renowned atheist. He's the same one that said, for those of you who believe in God in the afterlife, it's a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. And yet, he was one of the ones that came behind the mind to explore the dark. Our little planet, amongst all the darkness of space, is it important to know if we are alone in the dark?
That's what I'm talking about today is darkness. Do you remember if you go way, way back? I, I, my, I'm going to say this live in case my brother hears it. When he locked me in a closet when I was little and it was really dark, Remember how scary that was? Remember how your heart would leap and you would just scream in that space where you woke up in pitch darkness as a child and, and darkness was so scary and you would scream out and what would happen? Uh, somebody would rush in or let the door open or mom and dad would come in and turn on the light and the minute the light flooded you, you had this huge relief, right? Light would come on, joy would flood our body, we'd take a deep breath. I'm going to make a bold statement here. I, I believe we all have a strong fear of dark. All of us. We all have a strong fear of the dark. So let me stop there for a minute. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. Glad we're all worshiping together as we talk about darkness together. For our guests, we're glad you're here with us too. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. We talked about this worship guide. On the back are these sermon notes. We'll outline kind of what we're going. We're going to go into God's Word together today, all over God's Word. It's a beautiful thing to show the whole Bible. And so we're going to share that. You can outline that. That's for everybody to kind of dive a little further. Um, if I can bring up something, there isn't, these are just like our super most important announcements. There's always, there's a newsletter that goes out every week that has all the announcements. This one kind of has the big things. The angel tree out here, we do this every Advent. We give, we just, in a posture of giving instead of receiving, we, we help families who can't uh, have a Christmas. We help, well, one of the, there's an angel tree out there that has all these ornaments on it. Actually, there's only eight left. I think there was like a million. No, there was like, there was a lot. It was like a hundred or so, but there's only eight left to let you know. So we clear that tree out before we leave today. But there's things where we can help a family um, have Christmas this year. There's benevolence cards. Like if you go and buy, you follow the instructions on there, um, you can buy a benevolence card. And what do we do with those? Well, when people need food or gas and come here, we help them. And so those go a long ways. And, uh, but make sure when you take one of those ornaments, there's a sign-out sheet. There's people there, Carl and Rose, to help you. Make sure we sign them out so we keep track of everything and that they come back. But please uh, tackle that with us. And then for our guests, too, this Connect card is, like, really important. If you tear that off, just give us your name and email address. You can drop them in these boxes right here. You can go out to our welcome center. But it's very important to us you're here. But we'd love to reach out to you and say, hey, can we help you? In your church, we assume you have a search for a church home, and we'd love to help you with that. See, that was a bold start saying that we're all, we all have fear of the dark. And I think some of us say, well, maybe I did as a kid. I don't as an adult. But I think... I think you would agree with me if I define darkness for you. So that's our second sermon note here. Darkness is anything that is absent of God. I think if you look at it this way, I think we'd be terrified of the dark. Darkness is anything absent of God. If you think about it throughout the Bible, God is described as light. And wherever we see God, we see the symbolism of light. We see how he is light to us. So the absence of light is the absence of God. If we look at darkness, if we look at symbolic, it's, darkness is always symbolic of what is evil. Evil in our times, death, pain, suffering, all those things that separate us from God and separate us from others is darkness. And I'm not just talking about physical darkness. I'm talking even more importantly about spiritual darkness. The depths and the night of my soul. 
not only from Genesis through Revelation, not only does the Bible compare light and darkness a lot, it describes a final darkness. A final darkness is when you spend eternity separated from the light. Another word for that is hell. And, and so a lot of times we, we look at the descriptions of hell and we look at fire and brimstone and sulfur and all these graphic. Let me tell you one, it's a million times scarier. Hell or permanent darkness is a separation from God who is light. It is dark all the time. There is no light and there is no love in that. That's final darkness. The absence of God completely, no light, and the absence of love. In the Old Testament, Israel, the nation God was using to show himself to the world, went through this period of great darkness, this period where it seemed like God was very absent. And so here's a little list for you. Three, three, let me describe three ways why this was such a dark time. First is that it was a silent 400 years from God. So when you pull open your Bible and you get to the end of the Old Testament, there's one page in my Bible and it's blank. <laughs> that blank page after Malachi represents 400 years where no prophet ever spoke. 400 years between 400 B.C. in the Old Testament and the first gospel story opens in the New Testament. 400 years, God is silent. He doesn't speak through a prophet. And in that same 400 years, if I take you through the history of Israel, let me tell you how dark it was. Not only was it silent for 400 years, the people of Israel were conquered, oppressed, and polluted over and over and over. You see, when we get to Malachi, when we get to the end of the Old Testament, remember, the, if you remember reading the Bible, is that the Israelite nation turned their back on God, and eventually God left them to their, to their sin, and they end up they were invaded by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and they, they end up being dispersed all throughout the Mediterranean basin where the whole world existed about then. And as we get towards the end of the Old Testament, the kings allow them to come out of captivity and start returning back to Israel and start to restore their nation but they never get to be their own nation. In those 400 years, when they, when they start coming back, they're then ruled by the Persians for 60 years. They're run in their own country by somebody else. And then the Persians are conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks conquered everything. And then the Greeks allocated out to four other rulers, so they allowed Egypt to come up and rule Israel for another 125 years. And it isn't over then. Then the Syrians come down from the north, and for 33 years they take over, and they rule Israel. And they desecrate the temple, which causes the Jewish people to rise up in revolt. And then for a short time, Israel is kind of in control. But then Rome comes in 63 B.C. and takes it over again. And that gets us to the New Testament. 400 years, five different ruling nations, captive in their own land, oppressed by military might, oppressed by evil rulers, polluted with Greek mythology and Roman mythology and gods that just invade their own faith. And it becomes a standard culture around them. Conquered, oppressed, polluted, 
But the third thing that makes this period so dark is that they as a nation religiously begin to really fracture in themselves. First we see the Sadducees. It's a priestly order. They're connected to the temple and they rule from wealth and power and prestige. The more wealthy they are, great. But then you get, you have the Sadducees who are ruling them as a priestly order. Then you get the Pharisees, which are more of a teaching order. And, and the Pharisees kind of go out and start the synagogue. Instead of everybody coming to the temple, they kind of make a local congregation for everybody to come to. And they're kind of, the Pharisees are kind of like the people's people. But they rule legalistically at best. And so there's these two big separations there. And you got the Ascends. The Ascends are a group of Jewish people who says, you know what, I'm done with this. And they become separatists and they just leave and go out into the desert. They write the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then you got the Herodians. King Herod was a Roman puppet. He grew up in Rome. He, he did everything to sell out his nation to Rome. You have these Herodians who are all these rich Jewish people that kind of gather around Rome. And they're wealthy because of it. You have the publicans. The publicans are the Jewish people that become the tax collectors. See, Rome was never a bad guy because always had Jewish people collecting the taxes. And so the publicans fracture, fracture, fracture. And then you have the zealots. The zealots were Jewish terrorists that hated everything about Rome and anybody else. If they had plastic explosives, they would strap them to themselves and they'd walk into the Senate and blow it up. They're that passionate about being conquered. Am I painting a good picture of how dark it was in Israel at this time? Can you get any darker? 400 years. When we see the New Testament start, I want to give you kind of a scope here. Let's say 1 AD for rough reference. 300 million people existed in the world, mostly around the Mediterranean basin. Only 4 million of the 300 million were Jewish that believed in God of the Bible and were waiting on a Messiah. So if you're, if you're doing your math with me, that means only 1 or 2% of the people knew the God of the Bible. At the start of the New Testament. That's dark. God made a promise in the Old Testament that this darkness would not last. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. The prophet reveals this. He says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. You will enlarge the nation of Israel. And his people will have great joy. They'll rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people who rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and you'll lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. God says that 100 years before the New Testament starts. So this Advent, we're doing this a little differently. We're doing a sermon series called Imagine No Christmas. It never happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus never came as a baby. We're imagining, we kind of use John Lennon's song, Imagine, which was really seismic in its time. 
but we're using it a little bit differently. So we're taking away the main things that we think about a Christmas tree, Christmas presents, Christmas carols. Say we're talking about Christmas lights. Before we get into that, week one we talked about Jesus, if he hadn't come, we would, know, we would not know what resurrection is. We would not know what eternity looked like. We would not have hope. We would not have new life today, nor would we have new life in eternity. But since he did come, he showed us we could have new life now because I have the hope of eternity because of him. And he also showed us that we have hope eternal. And so we use the image of a Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is never green. That means it's always green. In the winter, it's green. Our trees are green in the winter. It's green in a drought. It's green, always green. And we as Christians are always green because we have new life now. This week, we're going to talk about your third sermon note. Imagine no Christmas lights. Imagine darkness still prevailing and we walk around in spiritual darkness every day as if Jesus never came. There is no joy for a future. There is no deep sense of peace. There's no trust. There's no comfort. When you think about it, when I went out and put up my Christmas lights on our house and out in the yard, they're on a solar signal, right? So once the sun goes down, once the sun starts going down at dark, the light comes, right? And our Christmas lights pop on. I don't have to do a thing. We do that because we light up when the darkness comes. When you think about your Christmas tree, it may be on during the day, but it doesn't look nearly as beautiful as it does at night when the darkness comes. So what if we did this? What if we... What if we turned off our Christmas lights? What if we went back to the same darkness Israel was experiencing, but it hasn't been 400 years. It's been 2,400 years since we've heard the word of God. If that's true, I think sending out a nanocraft right now looking for light and hope is a good idea. Up until the first Christmas in Israel, it's arguably one of the darkest times in Israel's history, arguably, for how long it lasted. And we can say, thank God we don't have that darkness today, right? One yes. I think you hesitate because I think you do know there's darkness today. Now, let me qualify that because I think the yes answers were right and they're wrong. If darkness is measured by the absence of knowing and loving God, who is light, are we sure we're not living in dark times now? Today, I'll throw some numbers at you. Today, there are 7.8 billion people in the world, 7.8 billion 
2.5 billion claim to be Christian. That means they know the God of the Bible and his son who was sent to save us. 2.5 billion. That's 7.8. So you would say, hold on a second. I'm already doing the math, Brian. When you went back to Israel's dark time, only 1% of the people knew who God was and were looking for a Messiah. Today, that number is 32%. Yay, us. Hold on a second. At the start of the New Testament, 289 million people walked in darkness. Today, 5.3 billion walk in darkness. That's dark. Not only do we live in a time a massive number of people do not know and walk in darkness, but always I would argue that Christmas and the holidays are the time of year where you see suffering like no other time of the year. Our fourth sermon note together, I think Christmas can be the deepest night. This is for Christians and non-Christians. Christmas and the holiday season can be the deepest night. And some of the reason why is you can't walk into the store or turn on the radio without hearing it's the most wonderful time of the year, but for a lot of people it is not the most wonderful time of the year. Many people, including Christians, struggle in the darkness this time of year. I can put it on my calendar. One week before Thanksgiving, I will begin getting a lot of texts and emails about suffering and depression and anxiety. And it happened this year, too. We've been knee-deep. All the ministry leaders have. A lot of you have. They're out there. Mental health crises skyrocket this time of year. You may be navigating Christmas for the first time without a loved one. That's hard. You may be battling a disease you didn't have a year ago that makes this holiday season not the most wonderful time of the year. You may be in a marital struggle, and for goodness sake, this COVID stuff does not stop. New variants, new fears, over and over and over. I would argue that this time of year can be the deepest of the dark nights. But 2,000 years ago, well, even further than that, more than 2,000 years ago, God promised that that darkness would not endure, and 2,000 years ago, he came through. Let me take you to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. At night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby, a baby, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Deep at night, shepherds are hanging out there. The glory of God shine down. 
You remember if you jump to the book of Revelation when it describes heaven, which will be like for all of us one day, is like there is no sun or moon because God is the light. So you're seeing the glory of some way, the glory of God shining down like a light. It's not the star. Shining down. And they're freaked out. But then these angels appear and they say, hey, 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 it's okay. Don't be afraid. We're bringing you good news that will cause great joy for all. A baby. A baby. The long-awaited Messiah has been born today. God reached across the heavens and the spiritual realm in all infinity and sent a baby, a little nanocraft that came all the way across. The baby's name is Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus literally means? God saves. God saves. He saves us from the darkness. The Apostle John, one of the, one of the earliest, well, one of the writings that start the New Testament, the fourth gospel, the Apostle John, in writing about Jesus' life, he starts with what we call the prologue. This prologue is so fascinating. The first five verses of what John writes about Jesus. Let me read it to you. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. I'm making a point here. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never, ever extinguish it. So you look at the scripture, it's really cool. Is, but sometimes we struggle with the word word. The word is any way that God reveals himself. Let me kind of put it simply. When we pick up this book, it is God's word, but it's how he reveals himself, lets us know him. The other way that God reveals himself so closely and so personal like we've never seen before is actually through Jesus. Jesus is how God shows him in flesh, in his heart to the world. No other vision we've had of God expressed like this. So, so John uses that word. He is the word. So if you read this, just substitute the word word with Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Jesus, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus, this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never Never extinguish him. John writes the first five verses about Jesus' life in his prologue summary. So your fifth sermon note is a summary. Jesus came to penetrate the darkness. 
That was his mission. Jesus came to earth in our darkness to penetrate the darkness. We don't have to send out a nanocraft. God sent one to us. He is light. So we would no longer walk in darkness. This is beautifully said by Jesus himself in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This little nanocraft came to us and he grew up to be a man and one day his life, his death, his resurrection proved he was the light. And when Jesus rose from the grave, and after appearing to all the people to show it's real, and this is what new life looks like in a resurrected body, God took him up and placed him at the right hand. The light did not leave. For Jesus says, I'm going to leave the light with you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for all who follow, that light is now in us. For the Holy Spirit is called the illuminator. He illuminates everything. When you pick up this book, the Holy Spirit illuminates what you see in God and what you see in Jesus. He illuminates our belief. He illuminates our lodge. He grows us. The light stays in us because of the gift that Jesus gave before he left. Because of all that, it's important that you understand there's no darkness into which a human being can descend that Jesus has not already descended. Because of his death, his life, his life, his death, and his resurrection, there's nothing you or I could go through, no deep darkness that he would not understand or even have gone deeper. And because of that, now light floods. Now joy floods. Joy from the light. Now darkness recedes for those who follow him. Our world is still terribly dark. That was the right answer. But 2,000 years ago, we got the light. And now Jesus has given us, the church, his mission. Our mission is that we, now that we are the light, we are to penetrate the darkness. That is the church. This is beautifully described in Ephesians 5. It says, for once, and this is written to the church, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and what is right and what is true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. It is, even, it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. 
This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So he's talking about the church. Everywhere we take the light that's in us, everywhere we walk, we take the light with us to wherever it's dark, and it's dark out there. 5.8 billion people, all kinds of suffering. We take the light wherever we go. It is in us, and it comes through us. Christian living is intensely practical. There's, there are no experiences in life that God does not touch or change when you bring the light. I want to say that again. Every time you bring the light into somebody's darkness, there's no experience that God will not touch in that. And every time we choose to live ethically, every time we choose to follow his commandments, every time we choose to look like Christ and be like Christ and not by the culture, we are light in the darkness. Light is action. It's not hide it under a bushel. There's only one way people can escape the darkness, and that's through light. And that line, it says, awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. I think it's written to two audiences. It's written to the church first. Church, wake up. Quit hanging out on Sunday and going home on Monday and doing nothing. Wake up. You are the light that the world needs. Wake up, church, and go be the light. I would argue right now that this dark time is as equally dark as what it was 2,000 years ago. There's still desperate need today. 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus at the perfect time. Today, he sends us at the perfect time. Awake, O sleeper. It's also written to those who don't walk in the light. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Rise from that permanent darkness you're heading towards and take the gift of life. This Sunday, for those online and those here, we are 400 little nanocraft that will go out into a dark world. And we are powered by light. Every one of you, a little nanocraft in a big world that has all the power in the world in you. Let's go from imagine no Christmas light. To imagine everybody's a Christmas light. Let me share with you Colossians 1, 11 through 14 to wrap up today. Kind of the key scripture here. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son.
who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is a prayer, prayer for the power of the church, the power to be patient and endure as a light. It is dark out there. Just like the same prayer to the, to, to the Colossians in that church, it's like, be patient and endure. Be the light. Be the light. It'll bring you great joy. It's like, joy, how do I get joy when the world's so dark? And it reminds us three ways. One, we're thankful because we get to share in the inheritance. We get to share in the inheritance now because I believe and follow Christ. I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to a place that's forever lit up by God and his son. And I have great joy. Not only do we get to share in that inheritance, I get to share that inheritance with others. Second reason why we should be joyful is that we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness 2,000 years ago and we're now in the kingdom of the sun today. And the third reason is we have been purchased from the slave market of our sin and our sins have been sent away. We are now free because of Jesus the light. God sent Jesus at the perfect time. Now it's our time. I'm going to leave you with the last sermon note. Great way to finish. We are a kingdom people filled with joy and light. Let me encourage you. Go, little nanocraft, go. Go out there and change the world because it's he who's in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Christmas with our lights No colors twinkling No decorated houses No strands around the tree Imagine only darkness no light to behold ah, angels came to lowly shepherds good tidings and great joy we bring light in the world in a manger born this night Jesus the King Today, our offering is, is the change that we need to make when we hear God's word. Our offering is when we give financially, because the mission of our church um, is huge, and it's the fuel. You're not given to something outside of you. You're given to a body that you trust to work together. When you give your financial gifts, you can drop those in the box going out the door. I'd always encourage you to give, give joyfully, give consistently to fuel the mission of the church. Give your time, your talent, and your treasure but also encourage you to give when you hear God's word.
where you need to change. That's an important one. For our guests, too, that Connect card uh, on the bottom of that, if you would drop that off in the boxes or go out to our Welcome Center, we'd really like to connect with you. But let's go to God and actually and talk to him in a posture of offering. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that throughout the Bible we see light and darkness. We see terrible darkness. And Father, we see terrible darkness today, but it's different because we have the light in us. And Father, first I pray for those that may be in this room or watching us online who don't have that light, who have not decided to follow Jesus and who walk in darkness, banging around in the dark, hurting, struggling. Father, I pray that they see the light of Christ, that they come forward and say, I want to follow him today. They fill out a connect card online or in here, person here. They come up after the service and say, would you help me be a follower of Jesus? Because I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. And I'm tired of excuses today. I want to walk in the light. Father, the prayer is that these 400 nano <laughs> craft Go out today with the light. Father, we do not cover up our light going out this door, but we announce our light to everybody. Announce you. Father, if this church goes out into a dark world, it makes a difference. That we really start being church now. For you've picked for this time, for us, the perfect time for us to be the light. Father, rise up your church. Go, nanocraft, go. And let's go spread the love of Jesus everywhere we go. We pray for this offering. It's fragrant to you, God. It's fragrant to you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the light that still dwells in us. Empower us today to go change your world. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.